our speaker this morning absolutely needs no introduction, uh, so I won't give you one other than uh, when we were uh, talking about who we wanted to uh, come back, it was the only logical choice as far as we were concerned. So Pastor Dennis, if you would come forward and uh, just uh, share with us what the Lord's laid on your heart for, as he has done for, what, 25 or so years here. Uh, you've graced our pulpit and closed in the way that you see fit. Thank you, Thank brother. You. Appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Usually they applaud when I get through. <laughs> anyway, we're glad you're here. Please take your copy of God's Word and open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to consider two verses there, verses 12 and 13. And I want to speak to you today about giving gratitude to gospel workers. We're enjoying ministry in Haywood County. I went from serving one church with 18 deacons, trying to corral the staff that we had, and by the way, I see the staff is increasing here, so that's, that's joyful, uh, to actually uh, serving 62 churches and their pastors and staff, and it's very much like trying to herd cats, and, uh, but it's great. I enjoy working with preachers. They are, are unique. I always think about uh, in one of the churches I served, this little, little child came to me and uh, had difficulty figuring out this whole preacher business, and, and he called me the creature. <laughs> it's not far off, <laughs> but we thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. First Thessalonians 5, out of respect for God's word, would you stand for the public reading of the scripture, and then we'll have prayer, and after that you can be seated, and as always, I encourage you to jot down some notes over the course of the message as God speaks to you. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Let's pray together. Father, it is always a joy to be able to stand here before this congregation and to speak your word. But not only is it a joy, it is a sobering responsibility, one that I do not take lightly. And this prayer is not just a matter of routine, but it is the sincere expression of my heart, my acknowledging before this congregation and before you that apart from the moving of your Holy Spirit, nothing good is going to be done. But Lord, I want to be a vessel, simply that, nothing more, nothing else, nothing less, than to be one that you can fill with your spirit and empower and energize your message and deliver it with clarity and fervency and urgency and authority to the people that are gathered here today and all for the glory of the name of Jesus. And it is in that matchless name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. Thank you. Be seated. And that doesn't have to be the last time you say amen, by the way, right? Well, the Bible states that we are to give honor to those you owe honor. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, 7. 
If your leaders are honorable, then honor them. And if they're dishonorable, dismiss them. But there's really no neutrality. We need to get on one side or the other. And look at the command Paul gives here. He underscores, give recognition. He says, regard them. Now, this is not an option. It is an obligation. It is as much a command of Scripture as any other verses that we find. When it's spoken by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the authority of an apostle, we need to take it to heart because it comes from the very heart of God. And so because of that, obedience demands that we give gratitude to gospel workers. And if we don't do that, guess what we call that? We call it disobedience, and very clearly it is sin. Now, you don't want to be a sinner, do you? Huh? No, then you, you need to follow what God says we're to do. Now, I guess the question, though, as we're gathered here today, is exactly how do we do it? If we're obligated to give gratitude to gospel workers, how can we express that? Well, I think Paul suggests three different ways here. The first thing that he says that we can do is be laboring with them. Laboring with them. Did you notice in these verses, he speaks of those who, here it is, labor among you. And he says to regard them because of their what? Their work. Now, I have occasionally run into people who have the mistaken notion that preachers only work about three hours a week during times that they stand and speak to people. And that's about the, the, it and the rest, they just goof off. They go play golf or go fishing or whatever. And I will be the first to admit to you, because I've been in ministry a long, long time, there are lazy preachers. And I've known a few, but, uh, but not yours, not your staff, not those that work here. Old Matthew Henry said that pastors are to be laborers, not loiterers. <laughs> and you don't have loiterers employed here. They work hard. They're diligent in their task. I labored alongside many of them for a number of years. And so I watched them in action. I know the demands that were thrust upon them. That word labor there is very interesting. It means hard work. It means toil to the point of exhaustion. It has to do with the word sweat. <laughs> and that's how we labor for the Lord. Now, just because their work might differ from yours and whatever manual job that you have and that sort of thing, that doesn't mean that it's any less difficult. At times it may be more so. The very pressure and burden, the, the weight and gravity of what they do for immortal souls hang in the balance. And they have to live with that all the time. Now, sometimes we think, well, we pay the preacher to do our work. Well, certainly we do not pay them to shirk, but they're not hirelings employed by the church to simply do the work that you will not do. But rather, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 that God has gifted these laborers and given them a ministry to employ you in your ministry. And that's the way the church is built up. You're not going to have a church that's going to be built up and amount to much of anything if you just depend on the staff to do all the work. Unless they have people that labor alongside them, labor with them, gifted people that God employs. You know, the old saying is that if you ever see a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, 
He didn't get there by himself. (laughs) And when you see someone stand in this place or teaching a class or involved in some other work for the Lord, when you see them, they did not get there by themselves. They were able to do what they do and they can sustain what they do because you, as the people of God, labor with them. Your pastors in these days need all hands on deck as they pilot the old gospel ship. We are sailing through some very stormy seas and it's liable to get very tempestuous along the way and and they need you to be at your post, at your station. Think about the great leaders of the Bible. Who are some that you would name? Moses would be one. Did you know that Moses had Joshua and Aaron and 70 elders that worked alongside of him to keep that crowd in line? Uh, What about uh, David? Pretty impressive leader, right? David had his generals and he had a list of his mighty men that we find in the scripture. And then in the New Testament, what about Paul? That was a leader, but Paul had Barnabas to lean on. He had Silas to partner with. He had young protégés like Timothy and Titus. He even took his doctor along with him everywhere he went, a man named Luke. And there's a whole list of others that you find in the New Testament. So you see, we need people to labor alongside of us. And if you want to honor your staff today, then one of the best ways that you can do that is to roll up your sleeves and get next to them and help them in their toil. That's going to speak volumes to them. And we can do a lot of things, and it's good to applaud them and to cheer them on, and I'm going to speak to that here in just a little bit. But you know, talk can be cheap. It's when we work with them that it makes all the difference in the world. Isn't there something you can do? Uh, Don't be content just to sit in a chair, to just show up, to just go through the motions. God has given you a responsibility and you need to join in and partner with them in ministry. How many ministers do you have here at Pole Creek? Hmm? Well, if you say, well, we got five, we got six, you start counting, you know, so Brother Gene, I wasn't able to count all of them, but but anyway, if, if that's the only ministers you have at Pole Creek, then you're in trouble. But you know what the Bible says? That everyone in this room that knows the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you and he has gifted you uniquely for your ministry. And what your staff does, what your elders do, is they help to equip you for that task. Now get to work. So, laboring with them, that's one way that we give gratitude to gospel workers. Let me show you another way. That's being led by them. To be led by them. It speaks of those who lead you in the Lord and admonish you. Understand this, that God's church is not a herd of cattle, but a flock of sheep. And so the the shepherds are given the responsibility of leading lambs, not driving cows, okay? And I will will tell you that whenever I speak about authority and speak about power, sometimes we react to that and we step back and we shudder and we think because we may have experienced the abuse of power that it's a bad thing. Listen, nothing ever gets done without power being exercised. 
Nothing is ever accomplished unless someone has authority to take charge. You have to do that, okay? And yet I understand that because we're fallen people, that the temptation can be in our flesh and our weakness that we yield to arrogance and ego, and certainly preachers are not immune from that. There have been harsh leaders in the church. Have you ever run into any? Don't name names. People full of arrogance. Sometimes pastors are accused of being dictators, and sometimes it's true. And if this were not the case, then Simon Peter, in speaking about gospel ministry, would not have warned and said, you're not to be lords over those entrusted to you. You see, it was a problem in the first century. It's still a problem in the 21st century, and, and it happens. But it doesn't have to be. And you need to realize that we ought not be involved in a power struggle inside the church. I like the way Warren Wearsby put it in his commentary. Listen to what he said. See if you don't agree with this. When God's servant led by God's spirit calls us to obey God's word, then we must obey. This does not mean that every spiritual leader is always right in everything. Abraham, Moses, David, and even Peter made mistakes in their words and deeds. A wise pastor knows he is made of clay and admits when he's wrong or when he needs expert counsel. Then Wiersbe says this, that in my own ministry, I have benefited tremendously from the counsel and help of experienced laymen whose knowledge in many areas was far greater than mine. And I can step back and say, amen, I've experienced that as well. But in spite of their limitations, God's spiritual leaders should be respected and obeyed Unless it's obvious they're out of God's will. As the spiritual leaders of the church meet together, plan, pray, and seek and follow God's will, we can be sure that God will rule and overrule in the decisions they make. So what I say to you today concerning the elders of this church, follow them or fire them. (laughs) But don't fight with them. Get on one side or the other. And I'm telling you that there are a lot of churches today that are utterly failing in their mission because they spend all their time, instead of fighting the devil, fighting with each other and fighting against their pastors. A power struggle that takes place. Not over a matter of false teaching coming from the pulpit. Not over a matter of some moral failing in in a... church leader's life, but just because somebody wants to be in charge, wants to throw their weight around, wants to make the decisions, doesn't like being told what to do. Well, we don't like to be told what to do, right? Come on, let's be honest. Uh, As children, we have that natural reaction, don't we? We come into this world kicking and screaming, and we get really good at it with practice, don't we? Isn't that right, boys? We get good at it, yeah. (laughs) That that rebellious spirit, it's it's our spirit. Sinful DNA, and that's the way we react. We don't always grow out of it. And sometimes we can be born again and still behave like children, selfishly wanting our ways. And I'm telling you, there are churches today that are on the verge of closing down. And their testimony to the community, all that they know about them is that's where they just fight all the time and run preachers off. God help us. They were in such a place as that. I recently preached in a church where there was turmoil, where the pastor and his sweet wife 
were caught in the crossfire, where there was an organized effort to run them off, where he was having to endure all kinds of lies and accusations. Very publicly, letters being sent out, emails being sent out, church members right before they came to church on a Sunday morning getting contacted by the disgruntled about the preacher. And he didn't deserve that. As far as I know, it was just a power struggle. It wasn't over anything of substance. It's just because somebody didn't like being told what to do, thought he was trying to control the church. Listen, I'll tell you something else that people don't like. It's what Paul mentions here and why you need to respect and recognize your church leaders. He speaks about they admonish you. <laughs> Did you get that? They admonish you. One of the most horrifying things to me in the morning when I get up is when I turn the light on and look in the mirror. <laughs> I mean, it's like shock theater, you know. I look there and, you know, hair's going this way and that way and bags under my eyes. You could drape them across a horse's saddlebags. They're so big, bleary and red. And, well, it's, it's just, it's bad. I, I don't need to go on, do I? You know why? Because you've looked in the mirror too. <laughs> well, we may not like it, but it's important. My wife would faint if I walked out of the house looking like that. I, I have a chance to do a little enhancement, right? Can I get an amen out there? Y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Here's the perfect mirror that God has given to us about our spiritual condition. And when we come and we look into that, sometimes we don't like very much what we see. And that's what admonition is all about. It's when the preacher stands up here and he says, look in this mirror. Look here. He's not being mean. He's not being cruel. He's not trying to drive you down. He's, he's not trying to harm you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to say, listen, if we want to honor God, we better look in this mirror. If we want to know what we need to be, we need to size ourselves up this way. What do we need to do? Here we are, and, and we admonish people. Now, as a parent... Those of you who have children, you know what it's like to admonish those children. You're out somewhere in a busy street, and you're walking on the sidewalk, and one of them pulls free and gets ready to run right out of the road into traffic. You say, now little Johnny, don't do that. Stop! You get back here right now. Now don't you? And you do it because you... Loathe them or because you love them? Sure you do. And there are going to be times that there's a word that comes from here that you, you don't want to hear. And you don't necessarily even appreciate it at the time. But it's what you needed to hear. It might be a bitter pill to swallow, but the medicine will cure you. And, and, and God has called the, the man of God to give that word, to speak that word in its season. And we need to receive it. And we need to say, Thank you, Lord. Receive it and repent. <laughs> the evangelist, the old evangelist, Billy Sunday, uh, somebody came up to him and said, you know that lady over there? She says, when you preach, she said, it rubs her the wrong way. He said, well, let the cat turn around. 
And, and so if, if this message is rubbing you the wrong way, maybe it's because you're going the wrong way and you need to turn around. That's what repentance is. You receive it as the truth spoken in love. Well, there is a third thing for us to consider. If we want to give gratitude for gospel workers, we need to labor with them. We need to submit and be led by them, but then we need to express love for them. Notice what Paul said here in our text. He says, regard them very highly, here it is, in love, in love. And the outward manifestation of that, he says, be at peace among yourselves. There are a lot of character qualities that ought to be present in your life and in my life. But if we don't have love, if the man that stands in this pulpit, even if he speaks the truth, if he doesn't do it in love, Paul said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, have not love, I become like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I mean, that's some eloquence. The tongues of men and of angels, that's getting on up there. But without love, it doesn't mean anything. And I'm telling you, that in your heart, the way you respond to your staff, the way you receive those words, whether you're willing to labor with them or be led by them, shows whether you have love to them. And if we miss that as a church, we don't even understand what Christianity is all about. Jesus said the world would believe that he had been sent by the Father as Savior when they would see the love that we have for each other. And if they don't see that, if we're not at peace among ourselves, it's a very serious condition. Love needs to be shared verbally. Now, I know that sweet little redhead that I've been married to for almost half a century. She was very young when I married her. <laughs> I, I know she loves me. I, I would not even dispute that, but I still like to hear her say it. It still means a lot to me to hear her say, I love you. You're the best husband. <laughs> You're the sweetest guy. You're so handsome. Well, that may be an exaggeration, but anyway, I do, I do like to hear it. Listen to me. Words have power. James said that by the tongue we can bless God or we can curse men. That words have power. And we need to be careful that the words we speak are words that encourage, that stimulate, that, that enhance, that move people along, that lift them up, that help them. It's easy to complain and criticize. But what about offering words of cheer and, and commendation? To where we express things to people that, that lift them up, that, that take them to another level. Ever been to a ball game and, and the team has home field advantage? You know what I'm talking about? It's worth a few more points. Uh, it, it means a lot when you're there and up in the stands. You're all these people urging you on. It just seems like you can take it up a notch and you can play a little bit better and, and you can hit it farther and you can run faster and you can, can shoot it more accurately or whatever the sport might be. Having those fans, that home field advantage means so much. 
What needs to happen for your staff, for your leaders, is when they come here among the people of God, that it's a home field advantage. That you're there cheering them on, urging them on, telling them that you love them. Writing a card, sending a text message, uh, an email. We're friends, aren't we? Can I be honest with you? You know, there, every now and then, as a preacher, you get a dirty letter. I don't mean profane. I mean just hurtful. And sometimes they're anonymous. And I filed them. It's called File 13. <laughs> and then there are emails. Emails that you get. Once we had a little group here, I don't know who they are. I had my suspicions. But they had designated themselves as, to, as the, the watchers of Pole Creek. Now, you didn't know anything about that, see? I didn't say anything about it to you while I was a pastor. But I ain't the pastor anymore, so I can say whatever I want to. <laughs> but they probably, maybe they meant well. But they just want to let me know they were keeping an eye on me and make sure I didn't get out of line if I messed up. Now, now when, you, when you open up your email and you read stuff like that, don't that bless your heart? <laughs> so be very, very careful when you click send. Read through that. Y'all remember Sharon Sebring, right? That was my administrative assistant. Every now and then I wanted to send something off in an email. And I, I thought, should I do it? And then I'd give it to her to read. And she'd say, no, don't do that. <laughs> that, that was very helpful. <laughs> words have power. That's what I'm trying to say. Make sure that you say the right thing, words that build up. Love can be shared verbally. But love ought to be shown visibly. So it goes beyond talk. There's action that goes with our affirmation. And the manifestation of a, a love relationship between pastor and people is very clear. What is it? We'll be at peace. At peace among ourselves when we're showing love to each other. A peace that exhibits unity. Now, now please understand, I'm not talking about uniformity. You, you are not just to sit back and anything that, that the preacher might say, you don't necessarily have to agree with it. You don't have to say, well, every decision, you know, I'm on board with it. But listen to me, in our day, polarization marks our society. Politically, racially, economically, it's divided the church. Mask, no mask. Vaccine, no vaccine. And for a pastor, he's caught in the crossfire and it's a no-win scenario. Somebody's going to get mad and leave. Somebody's going to say, because everybody doesn't wear a mask, I'm leaving. Because everybody's not vaccinated, I'm leaving. Somebody said, well, if they're vaccinated, I'm not going to be there. If they promote wearing masks, I'm not going to be there. Hang on. I'm trying to find that part in the scripture. <laughs> just, just wait a minute. I'm looking. It's, it's got to be in here somewhere. Hang on. Oh, wait a minute. I found something here. It says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. We all have opinions. 
former staff member of ours, Terry Hallfield. I loved Terry said it first that I heard it. He probably got it from somebody else like preachers do. <laughs> but Terry used to say, opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got them and some of them stink. <laughs> it's true. It's true, right? It's true. But stick to the word. And the word says unity means that you come together in love even where you might disagree over some minor things. Some personal preferences and all of that to be at peace. I wonder today, would you like to be a refreshing presence in this church? Okay, I'm glad you did. Flip, flip over a couple of pages to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just go to the right and you'll go through 2 Thessalonians and 1 Timothy. And then you'll wind up in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often, listen to this, refreshed me. Paul says he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. Remember, Paul's in, he's on death row. He's locked up. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. About Onesiphorus, and there are others that are listed in the New Testament, Paul said he was a refreshing presence in my life. Do you know what it's like when you're out there working, breaking a sweat, hot under the sun and you come and you get a cold glass of water and how refreshing it is you need to be that cold glass of water to your preacher you need to be that refreshing person to your church leaders you need to be that one that comes along and just helps them after they've been working so hard to go <sighs> instead of <sighs> You know the difference, right? Well, sheep can be a challenge. They tend to wander. But goats, they'll butt you, okay? <laughs> and sadly, in a lot of churches, they're goats as well as sheep. Do you know how they butt? Hmm? I know the Bible says that, but. I know the church voted to do that, but. I want to warn you, if you butt all the time, you might be a goat. I'll tell you, some church members act like the devil because he's their daddy. Search your heart. I can't do that. All of us get crossways with people from time to time. That's why we have to ask for forgiveness. I've done it. I've said things I shouldn't say. I've done things I shouldn't do. But it is not the general orientation of my life. And if the general inclination of your life is to attack to wound, to hurt, to criticize, to rebel. There's something wrong in here. And there's going to come a day, and I mean this with all seriousness. We've laughed and we've enjoyed some things here today, but I want you to listen to me. The Lord Jesus said there's going to come a day in which he's going to gather his sheep at his right hand, and there'll be goats at the left. 
And he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. So where are you today with this? Are you really a sheep? Maybe you wander. Maybe you have some issues. Or are you a goat? Are you born again? You have to be. You have to become that new creation in Christ. And the good news is you can be today. Now let me speak to those of you. You know you're saved. You know you're part of God's flock. And you're part of this flock right here. Here's what I want to tell you in just a little bit. Brother Ben's going to be here. The other church leaders are going to be here. We'll have a time of commitment. And if you're not really active in ministry in some form, in some way today, would you come to the pastor, one of the staff members, would you come to him and say, I I need to get to work. I'm here to work with you. I've not been doing what I need to do. Now, Now, I know that physically... Some of us can't do what we used to do. That's true of me. I mean, I used to dunk a basketball. On a Nerf goal, on a Nerf goal, a Nerf goal, come on. I know age takes its toll, right? But there's something you can do, whether being a prayer warrior, whether writing notes or cards to people that have been absent, picking up the phone, giving a call to a shut-in or a widow and talking to them, praying for them. There's something every person here can do. I want to ask you, are you doing that something? If you want to give gratitude to your staff, come say, we're, we're working with you. We're alongside you. Maybe you've rebelled. Maybe in your heart there's been something you've gotten crossways with one of them. Today would be a great day for you to make that right. They may not even know those attitudes that you're carrying in your heart, although they may have seen it on your face or heard it in the tone of your voice. Would you come to them and say, we're with you. We're here to be led. We want to follow where God wants us to go. Or maybe today you just need to come say, I love you. I love you. And I want us to be at peace. And I want us to have a congregation here that just brims to overflow with love for each other. I don't know what God's saying, but now's the time for you to make that commitment. Let's stand and bow our heads.